You are now listening to the Mass Startup Podcast. It's not like the radio interviews you've been at. Ain't no studio, nothing. It's just going. Okay. <laughs> um, so I've known you, I don't know. I actually don't know how many years I've known you. Um, it's insane, right? So I remember just being a young kid. A young kid, I mean like 23, 24 maybe. Mm. And like starting an e-learning startup, trying to figure out what the fuck I'm doing. Mm. And the only person that looked like me that could possibly know what was happening, that could possibly speak at my level, someone I could relate to, someone I could look at and be like, that's the guy. Mm. For me, it was you. Okay. So I'm just going to tell you that. Yeah. We're going to get the, the sweet things out the way very mm. I'm early. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's the only compliment. We're done now. So, <laughs> so for people who don't know you, mm. like who do you define yourself as? Oof. I wear many hats, but I think... Uh, simply put, I'm a tagapoi. And what do I mean by that? I'm this guy who can speak perfect English, but I'm a, I'm a hood. I'm a hood guy from Hillbrook who understands the streets and who, who's been in the streets for the longest of time. But I know how to do the, the boardroom hustle. I know how to play my game in the boardroom um, and, and man up to the big boys. But where my heart is, it's in the streets. And why? Because I come from the informal sector. I come from poverty, but it doesn't define me. But I, I know the, the, the benefits that come from that space, and therefore I'm trying to leverage. And part of that leverage is constantly being within those spaces. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you didn't even say your name, guy. Ah. <laughs> hey. <laughs> you just say your name, at least. Uh, I mean, so people know who you my, are. My, my parents named me Lebuhang Mulife. Uh, then my granny, who was drunk, um, went and, and signed me up as Silebuho. Mm. That kind of made me unique. So it's Lebu Homo Lefe. Peranonis talks her life's good. Yeah. Uh, at home, they call me Lebu. So you can call me Lebu too. So back to the story I was telling, right? Mm. So I think, yeah, five years ago or so, mm. being in Brom, you know, you got the Branson Center, the shiny new place where mm. for me it was just like the pinnacle of, of something, right? Mm. It was the first time I went into a space and felt like I belonged somewhere. Like I saw people that were trying to do things in the world that were different, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Because you got this whole education system that teaches you and ingrains you in a certain way, mm-hmm. right? And then coming into the Branson Center and going, holy shit, there's a world that exists for people similar to me, mm-hmm. people who want to build something of their own, something that can impact others, and something that can change things in the world. Yeah. And like, I feel you headed or somehow steered or like you helped move that forward like mm. do you recognize that oh no i do uh, so i was very intentional in getting into the branson center i remember my boy gift uh, from rip and so he's the one that uh, said dude let's apply to get into the space i was like we don't apply for programs what are we doing and he said well you talk about richard branson all the time he's got a center don't you want to do something and we checked it out, there were applications, they were reopening the center afresh. Um, in, I think it was 2010 or 2011, somewhere there, yeah. in Bramfontein. And I looked at it quickly and I was like, okay, I think this is how I'm gonna get to meet and work with Richard Branson. And that's why I got in there. And I was very intentional. I mean, in the two years that we were in there, we helped them to get their word out and uh, get into the townships, 
the fact that they had black people in there is because we exist. Oh, that yeah. simple. And by we, you mean the hookup dinner yeah. and yeah. the so sort of work. before the hookup done. dinner. So oh, this yeah. was Life's Good. And Life's Good is the, the company that owns the hookup dinner. Mm. The hookup dinner came in in 2012, but I was running some of the biggest campaigns for Virgin in 2010, 2011, uh, under the entrepreneurship banner. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, you, you've gone from that, mm. right, which is still just you already early on when most people were really looking at entrepreneurship development space mm. that way. You were already thinking that way. Mm. Like, what was the intention behind it? What did you see in creating an events property that could become a development sort of um, mm. facility for entrepreneurs? Like, what was the thinking around that? It, it came organically. I didn't have a plan, to be honest. In fact, my mentor, um, Heidi, she often says to me, um, Lebu, uh, you, you're a, a social activist who's a marketer at heart. And that stuck with me because that's actually what I am. I'm somebody that fights for the underdog consistently. Yeah. If you look at what um, the ecosystem was like just then, mm. right, when, you know, Branson Center was popping up, but like you had very small sort of projects popping up everywhere, mm -hmm. whereas now it's literally everywhere, right? So mm. brands are getting involved, the, you know, financial institutions are getting involved. Everyone wants a piece of startup ecosystem mm. they want to own the property they want to own the entrepreneurial stories like what's the difference between then and now um it's trends you know Where, with every generation there becomes a, a big trend mm. that, that pops up and then everybody wants to do it but you've got to you've got to look a bit deeper than that as to why is it happening it's because of government policy there's big pressure for corporates to, to be seen to be doing the right thing when it comes to corporate social responsibility. And because government has made it law through uh, black uh, economic empowerment, um, every corporate is left scrambling around. So it's about the license to trade. It's not mm -hmm. necessarily about impact. And it's a good thing because government can crack the whip once in a while. Mm -hmm. uh, companies can't go to jail as yet. You know that whenever a CEO commits a crime of sorts, in fact, when a company commits a crime, the CEO is the one that goes to jail. It hasn't gotten to that as yet, um, yeah. um, but that is the direction. And government is pushed to get to this level because, you know, the social pressure. Unemployment is uh, shooting through the roof. Scary. Um, youth unemployment Scary. specifically, we've got one of the highest. And you know, where there's a lot of black kids with high energy doing drugs, drinking, and just sitting around in the township, um, we're about to burn roads and everything else. So government is, is, is cracking the whip on corporates to play their part. and. There's, there's a reluctance in how it's happening, and therefore people want to make it as a PR exercise, and this is not what it's oh, yeah. about. You know? I, I feel like that's like the biggest disservice to entrepreneurs, yeah. biggest disservice to small businesses, where it's not necessarily about the support, empowerment, and mm. education of entrepreneurs, but mm. like what you want to do is own the story mm -hmm. so that you can blast it into media as much yeah. as possible and look to be supporting small mm. businesses versus actually, right? Mm. So there's a sentence you said just now, just... Corporates want to be seen yes. as to be supporting small businesses. Yeah. And like, how do we challenge that, right, where it's not just a PR exercise? Mm. One of the biggest cha bigger challenges is that you've got the same players in the system that played 20 years ago, um, people that were in the developmental arena back then when it was all about aid. So, for instance, Branson Center was set up as an NPO, and I feel that's the first big mistake. How do you set up an entrepreneurship center as an NPO? goes against the culture of what you're doing. Absolutely. And that is the challenge. And Because what you do then, you bring in NPO people. You bring people that have run 
non-profit organizations that understand that model of asking and begging for money, of taking out a begging bowl and then uh, taking a checklist to say, we did this, we did this, we did this, as opposed to impact. What impact is, uh, when it comes to entrepreneurship, it should be a dual uh, journey. On mm. the one side, it should be commercial. On the other, it should be real and impactful. So the process of creating jobs should not be a non-profit exercise. It should be a profitable exercise because then it will, it, it, it will move from being a cost center exercise to being a profit center exercise. And therefore, I feel that a lot of the entrepreneurship programs are sitting in the wrong department. It should be sitting with sales because if, it's, if, if programs sit with sales guys and marketing directors... That shifts the mindset. They want the ROI, man. They don't play with you. They Literally, ROIs, KPIs, up their asses, just like, hey. Money. Bottom line, it's are you saving me a shitload of money or are you making me a shitload of money? If it's not one of the two, you're out. You know, so that that culture is evolving, by the way. So one of my big clients is AB InBev, um, the uh, SAP so locally in South Africa. We're fortunate enough to service them across the continent. And the culture is shifting. The programs that are being introduced right now, it's moved from it being just a, a, a an initiative to please government mm. and the guys within, because they've been taken over by international guys. I mean, the Belgians don't play. The Belgians are all about cutting costs yep. to the bone. And they're about, if we touch this thing, is it going to make us money? It's the first question that is asked. And mm. therefore, you have to be purposeful and driven in how you reconstruct that program to make sure that it makes the company money, but it also solves the societal issues that we have locally. Yeah. yeah. And I've seen just few programs like mm. that, right, where you can literally pinpoint where the impact is. You mm. can see the entrepreneur actually going from one stage of entrepreneurship to another stage. Mm. You see their business growing, not just in media exposure, but like this person is actually running a real business and like mm. things are happening. They are scaling. You've mm. got numbers, you know. How do we actually keep them accountable, right? So I remember when the Branson Center was going through the worst of it, right? Yeah. This is like three months before they closed. Yeah. I used to go there and t took pictures and I put it on social media and be like, what are we doing here? Mm. Like, what's happened, mm. right? Mm. And I remember getting a call from the center manager and going, hey, can you please take that down and stuff mm. like that? Because for them, it was, you are ruining the perception that we are exactly. actually working. Yep. It wasn't that, oh no, you feel we're not working. Where do you think we are failing? Mm. Can we meet you somewhere? Mm. It was, you are ruining mm. the perception mm. that we are failing. Mm. Like, how do we actually hold entrepreneurial centers and programs to account for what they actually do? We need to put them out of business. It's that simple. If we know that they're non-functional, we need entrepreneurs to speak up. And because some of the entrepreneurs are beneficiaries, they will be given a grant. So one of the bigger problems that we have within the ecosystem is the issue of serial grant seekers. So you move from one program to the next, and this is where we talk about the, pro the, the, the ecosystem being broken, because if you've figured it out, you're gonna make money out of it as an entrepreneur. And we can't blame you for it, because this is your hack. Yeah, that's the game. You've so figured out how to survive within this thing. Yeah. Unfortunately, it's not sustainable, because then what are you doing? We're seeing you in media, you're being propped up as a successful somebody, but actually you're, you're surviving from grant to grant. You are no different from somebody who gets a grant from Sasa. Just you, 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 you're, the, you're the one that went to private school doing it. And that's one of the biggest challenges. So in, I, I feel like where we are right now is that the system is cleaning itself out. It's almost like the body. When the body is sick, uh, it, it overheats, it does all sorts of things, mm. it's sending out signals that look, um, we're sick and we've got to take care of, of, of home base, otherwise we're going to die. Mm. And I think that's what's happening within the entrepreneurship ecosystem. There's accountability that needs to happen right now. Impact is critical and you can't fake or manufacture impact anymore. You can't manufacture jobs. Absolutely not. A lot of the guys that, that got money from the Jobs Fund, for instance, uh, that run these entrepreneurship programs, there's little to account for. 
Um, they pronounced big numbers when they said they created jobs, this, that, and the other. But when you just take a step back and you look back into history or you look at the beneficiaries that they're talking about, most of them are out of business. Why? Because it was about taking somebody else's money and just taking a checkbox and then not being able to be accountable for it for sustainability purposes. And that's kind of where we're at. And I feel like this is great. It's really, really great because we are one of those movements as the hookup dinner that when I founded this platform in 2012, it was a platform for entrepreneurs, by entrepreneurs, about entrepreneurs. It was not about getting somebody who's got an MBA, who, who understands the, the mechanics of starting a business, but not having their skin in the game to come and tell you what to do. It was about people who were running through this game, not understanding what they're doing, but fighting for survival and making sure that the survival moves from being survival into being profitable mode and sustainable. And that's kind of what we've done with our movement. It's seven years in the game, unfunded, and we make our money because we service corporates. And I think there's something to, 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 to say about that. And then you've got to now take a step back even about that and say, where's the impact, guys? And then you just look all around you. You look at the average success story that is put up in the media, that somebody has been through that in one way or the other. And, yeah. and I think that well, that's what it, it needs to be about. The people that lead the space need to be entrepreneurs. The people that are within corporate need to be supporting. They need to be putting oh, yeah. support. So not necessarily them now becoming the ones exactly. in the media. Yeah. Them becomes, becoming sort of the face and the yep. voice behind the entrepreneurial story, yeah. but actually putting the entrepreneur and the small business up front. Yeah. The, the, there's a saying that you will be surprised what you can achieve if you don't care, if you don't care who, who, who gets the credit. You know, and so it's about teamwork. Within SAP, they have a culture thing where they say teamwork makes the dream work. You know, um, we work and win in teams. Those are things I learned from the SAP culture. And SAP is centered around sales. If you haven't pushed the sales volumes that you should, um, then things cannot happen. The program, the CSI side of things, cannot be can, cannot be pushed forward because there's no money for it. So those that that type of culture needs to permeate within the entrepreneurship ecosystem. And I think we're going there. Um, whether whether by, by by choice or by force, we are going there. Definitely by force. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think there's a lot of people that are benefiting and profiting mm. with the inefficiency mm. and ineffectiveness of the ecosystem mm. as it exists right now. Mm. Right. Mm. There are a lot of people making money from brands yep. that just want to tick a box. Yeah. Right. That don't care about the impact. Mm. That just necessarily just want to make sure that they can checklist this thing of things that they need to do for government. Yes. Right. And that's where like, I have a problem with the ecosystem. Mm. And it's difficult to challenge this sometimes, mm. just going, if there's so many people profiting mm. on the other end, whether it's um, someone that manages the program or whatever else, right? Like, are they being held accountable by the corporate themselves? Not even by the entrepreneur. Mm. Not the entrepreneur side, I hear you. Mm. right? So is the guy in the corporate office making the budget decisions to go, you know what, these are the guys that can help us mm. get the impact in terms of helping startups in this way, mm. helping small businesses in this way. Mm. Are, are the guys in corporate also holding the person in the middle mm. between them and the entrepreneur to account? They are being held accountable. The problem is KPIs. It comes from a cost center. So it means it's somebody who's within the HR unit or transformation unit or corporate affairs unit, and those are interchangeable. That person has got no power. Power resides within sales departments or, mm. or finance. So if you look at the average um, uh, listed company on the JSE, and then you look at the, 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 the CEOs, you look, at, you look at the journey of anybody that, that, that has written this, they've either become a, a chartered accountant, an accountant, or a sales director. 
So if you know how to bring money into the company, or if you know how to count the, the money, you're going to be in a leadership position. And if entrepreneurship is put within a transformation unit, which is about getting employee culture right, mm. as opposed to making profit, that's part of the problem. Because mm. you're dealing with somebody who actually does not know how to make money. And that's part of the bigger challenge. So you need, you need, you need a, 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 a merger of the two worlds. You need somebody who's got the heart and somebody who's got the head for numbers. The heart is about people. I mean, uh, one of my mentors, Ndatebo uh, Nang Mohale, often says that um, you, you must have your, your, your head on numbers and your heart on people. And just just simply means bring the two worlds together because you can't win the one without the other. You can make a lot of money as a company and make no impact whatsoever. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, if we check the journey, right, you've yeah. gone from hookup dinner to um, the work that you guys are doing with People's Fund, right? Yeah. So I've had Rianda on the podcast mm-hmm. and he's spoken about People's Fund. But like, what I want you to go into is just, why would you go from, okay, we are an events property mm-hmm. and then we work with, with, with corporates in order to make an impact on small businesses mm-hmm. and startups and then we want to help startups raise money. Mm-hmm. I mean, I feel like that's a completely sort of different mm-hmm. sort of thing to go into. Mm-hmm. Like, what's the motivation for doing that? We stand for three simple things within the hookup den. I mean, we, we, our values are connect, engage and contribute. And what that means in principle is that you've got to look at the full uh, ecosystem of an entrepreneur and think about their problems. And because we are entrepreneurs, we go through the problems ourselves, so we know them. Um, We had to get the culture right. And this is why we became the largest startup movement across Africa that was getting the culture going. People resonated with this and they they jumped onto it purely because they're like, shit, there's no platform that makes us, that, 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 that puts a face to us and takes us serious. And this makes sense because it's about us. It's not about those people trying to trying to sh- shine through us, you know. Mm. So that was the culture part. And then we got into education. So training and development is critical. Um, a lot of entrepreneurs uh, uh, are not numbers driven. And as a result of that, they, you, you know how to sell, you make the money, but you don't know how to keep it. So you don't know how to read your income statement, your balance sheet, and all of those things. So we had to get that going. And we went and got accredited and started delivering enterprise development programs in that man- manner. Then there's a critical component missing out of this. It's funding. And we realized that the average uh, entrepreneur is like myself. Got and blacklisted at some point. You are not part of the system. And in fact, the system does not want you. You are just too high risk for them. So we're like, how do we solve this problem? And we got together as ecosystem players. Uh, Luyanda is a guru in, in digital marketing. Um, Zuzu Gila with BrownSense uh, was able to, 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 to grab onto a, a voice that has gone global around black people buying from black people, you know? And uh, the hookup dinner is the plug when it comes to entra- the entrepreneurs, so the talent side of things. So we're like, if we can bring these three things together, some magic can happen. Yeah. We needed to raise the money. And we're like, okay, where we're going to start is with the people that come to the hookup dinner itself. Uh, the, the community, those are the people that should be funding entrepreneurs because they understand the problems. And this is more sustainable because you can hold the, the entrepreneur accountable. And this is, so this, that's kind of where the, the genesis of it comes from. I mean, uh, it, it was seriously about first build the culture, that is the community element, and then the education, which is the training and development, and then it's the investment, which is where we are now. And currently, what we are transitioning into is access to markets. We understand that you can be all trained and all funded, but if you don't have access to markets, you're in big trouble. So we, we're constantly trying to find um, ways of making sure that now that you're ready, can we make sure that you're making money for real, for real, not just the little money in front of the people that you actually serve? Exactly. Mm. Yeah. So, how do you speak about just entrepreneurial development, right? Mm. And I just want to ask, like, 
with the entrepreneurs that you've had being part of Hook Up Dinner, mm. that have come mm. out of it, right? Mm. So I know a bunch of them. Mm. But what have you seen as a common thread that really separates them from entrepreneurs that, you know, don't necessarily make it in the way that they have, mm. right? Whether it's from a, you know, a scaling perspective, mm-hmm. uh, making money perspective, or even just a where they go perspective, mm. right? What is a common thread between the entrepreneurs you've seen mm. really, really come out of what you guys have done in Thad, mm. what you've done with mm. People's Fund, mm. and go out and really do incredible things? Yeah. They, they, they often have an obsession with something, and they have a point to prove. So it's all about them. It's got nothing to do with anybody else. And this is an important thing because we bet on the jockey. We don't bet on the business. Mm. We are comfortable with the business failing, but we're constantly looking at the jockey and saying, you could potentially start another business. So if you've failed in a particular startup that you've founded uh, as an entrepreneur, it's okay to fail because that's where the learnings come from, you know? But we're constantly finding that if these guys have an obsession, I mean, I look at Skinny's Boo. Skinny's Boo is very controversial over the past six years that we've been with him. Um, he's, he's done and said all sorts of things, some that are not so popular, that are not, shouldn't be done, but this is a person evolving and growing, so you must experience all parts of this oh, yeah. person. You know what I mean? Yeah. And you look at his main obsession. His main obsession is that he wants to be famous. And for him to be famous, he's got to make money. And therefore, this sock business enables that. It brings that about. And it's gotten him to go and do things that the average person wouldn't do. He went to Markham's and told Markham's that, look, um, Markham's wanted to sell the socks for 75 bucks. Spoo says, no, we're going to sell these for 150 bucks. These are premium socks. You never say that to a corporate. So it's the chutzpah that we're talking about here. And, mm. and the fight for survival and the, that, that energy that says, I don't care. I mean, it's the same thing that we have with Luanda within the People's Fund. Oh, yeah. Luanda does not care for authority. And mm. it's an important thing and an important culture to embed within people that are starting out that if you respect authority, you are in trouble because you do not ask for permission as an entrepreneur. You break the rules, you don't break the law. And it's very, very critical that, that, that you understand this. If you ask for permission for anything, you're not going to achieve anything because there's people that are custodians of spaces and they want to keep their positions. And you've, you've got to fight. You're the, you're the David in, the, in this Goliath fight. That's insane. <laughs> it is. It's real. I mean, I feel like you ingrain that exact same value, just like completely and absolutely believing in what you do and why you do it mm. and seeing how you can actually see it through, mm. right? So something that, like you said about jockeys and, and horses, right? Mm. So obviously the jockey being the entrepreneur, mm. the horse being the, the, business. the business itself. And something I've seen with the South African startup ecosystem is a, a major attraction from people that run sort of programs and all of that, mm. major attraction with the horse, mm. with the business. Mm. It's like, oh, your business is sexy. Mm. It's, it's, it's amazing. It's whatever. Mm. But never so much developing or focusing on, hey, are you the right person mm. to do this? Mm. Could you actually see it through? Mm. Right? Mm. And that massive gap in saying, let's focus on the entrepreneur. Mm. This might not be the business that works for him, yeah. but you know what? If we build him, mm. he could build something incredible. Exactly. Why don't South Africans understand that? You, I, I think everything is born out of need. We, we often want to solve problems before we understand them, and this is why we fail most times. So it's not that the average person who wants to solve a problem um, doesn't care about it, and, and if they fail, it's like, oh, what were you doing? You didn't even care about this. It's understanding what the problem is. I understand it because I'm in the game. 
So on the one side, I wear a hat where I develop entrepreneurs, I mentor a shitload of entrepreneurs, and I, I see their struggles, you know? A skinny school will call me up and say, yo, Libs, I need 5K for rent. And I've got to deal with that. And I can't send him somewhere else. So I will hustle for this thing, and then I will hold him accountable. And if he doesn't pay me, I'll break his knees. So that's simple, you know? And it's that street culture that, that we have within us. But what I got to understand at some point was, shit, if we're not focusing on the entrepreneur, there's a lot that suffers. Everything falls apart. We, we lose so much out of a person that has gone from failure to failure, understood what they shouldn't be doing, and now they can graduate and move into a space where maybe if they find a new passion, a new business that they want to start, they're going to do it better. You know? And this is why I started vision boarding. You, you, you now understand why I'm doing vision boarding. It's got mm. nothing to do with the trends of the times and what, everything that is happening. I went back to being an entrepreneur, and I, I sat there, I was like, shit, I'm going through stuff. Ever since I've started vision boarding in 2016, I am seeing a bit of structure and I'm seeing a bit of light in terms of I've got to separate myself from the hookup dinner, from the people's fund, from the recycling business, all the businesses that I'm involved in. I step aside and I'm like, I'm Libu, the person. Am I taking care of? What are my dreams? If that died tomorrow, does it mean I'm dead? And when I took that step, I started becoming very intentional about my dreams. And when I put them down on paper and through the process of vision boarding, I started understanding what triggers I need for me to be able to move forward and also to be able to influence other people in a different direction. And that is the actual thing that we, we, we need to be taking a step back around and saying, is the entrepreneur being taken care of? And not in a nannying way, in a babying way, but in a way that says, shit, this person has got potential. We see it. We've seen what they've proven by themselves. And yes, they've, they've messed up here and there. But flip, there's so much potential here. How do we get this individual into the right space? Because once you have that, you're gone. I mean, this is what venture capital is about, where you will see somebody holding a $100 million check, and they will invest in like 100 startups, knowing that only one or two are going to make it. And we don't have that culture here, because we're a risk-averse culture uh, as a nation, first of all. And uh, as a continent, we don't have the money. And therefore, we've, we've got to find smart ways around such things. Do you think that um, the culture of separating entrepreneurs based off of, you know, sort of trends right now, mm. so whether it's social entrepreneurship, uh, creative entrepreneurship, do you think those sort of development centers for entrepreneurs that are very focused on a specific niche, mm. is that the way to go? Or would you rather just, like, work on a generic issue? Dude, my personal view is that these, all these labels we're wearing, you're either an entrepreneur or you're not. And on top of that, I believe that entrepreneurs are bound to be made. Um, that means you can develop anybody to be an entrepreneur. It's not a birthright of some people. You've got outliers in society, people that are geniuses, people that, that, that just go ahead and do things. But the, the, the rest of society is normal. So if you work with the, with the average person and you show them the tools, you show them the resources, you show them how to do something, they're going to they're gonna master it because you're mentoring them, you're giving them an ecosystem that comes with this. So we give them titles because we're trying to get budgets out. And that's the reality. Even Check boxes social, again. The, this whole culture of social entrepreneurship, it's got something that has to do with your relationship with money. It's like, don't love money. Like, what the fuck are we talking about? If you're not making money as an entrepreneur, you're going to be broke, you're going to be depressed, your family hates you, your friends hate you, the culture hates you. So why are you calling yourself an entrepreneur? Just go out there and go for Sasa Grant once and for all. You know what I mean? So if that is not the case, if you really genuinely want to be an entrepreneur, you are an entrepreneur who happens to be in the creative sector. And that positioning in, in your mind is very important because then you don't, you don't, you don't, you don't go with the status quo. Um, you are now put in a box. Now you can't work with engineers because you're in, you're, you're a creator. <laughs> you know? Like, what the fuck? 
Like you hear people saying, I'm a fintech entrepreneur. What the fintech. fuck? Is that? What, is that? what is that? Like, what are we talking about? You know? And it's so critical because this is why we, it, it, we're, we're embedding the, fa- the culture of failure unnecessarily. All because somebody's engineered a program, they've been able to pull the wool over some decision maker's eyes, and they've got a budget, and then they've got the power to do whatever. And people that run programs feel like they're God. And that's the problem. The power being with the, the developers versus the entrepreneurs, mm. that's something that's always bothered me, mm. right? Mm. Because without the entrepreneurs, the centers don't exist. The mm. programs don't exist. The budget doesn't exist, mm. right? But it always seems like the entrepreneurs and the small businesses are actually at the mercy of the development centers, the program managers, yeah. and all of that. Like, yeah. why is that? It's the CSI mentality. It's because this is a corporate social responsibility program. And because it is, you, you then want to treat yourself as an entrepreneur, as a beneficiary. There's a reason why I've never applied for a program. I'm an entrepreneur. I could have benefited from many programs in South Africa. And I would have cracked it because I understand how to hack shit. You know? But I have intentionally chosen not to be part of any program. Specific, and I, I went into the Branson Center because I wanted to work with Richard Branson and his people. And I got exactly that when I, when I got into that space. I made money out of it. And entrepreneurs don't have that culture and attitude. You get into a program without having the understanding that, am I going to monetize this thing or not? Am I going to be in, in charge of my relationship and my process and my journey within this program or not? And most of them are actually not in control of their own process. And that's important. You must be able to have the kind of power that says, after week three, if you don't like this thing, you're like, guys, I'm out. I joined the MassMed program because I manufacture beanbags. And in week two, they were telling us that we can't answer our phones, and we were being uh, in a program that was run by Gibbs, and it was like from 7 o'clock in the morning until 5 o'clock in the evening. I was like, fuck, I've got a business to run, so I can't answer my customers because I'm on your program because you've got a checklist. And they were sitting at the back, um, they uh, monitoring us like little kids. I was like, fuck this, I got out. It wasn't, and it's, it's, you've got to have that power. You've got to be able to say, I don't need this. And when you are like that, then you've understand, you're starting to understand the entrepreneurial journey. You're starting to understand that you can stand on your own, whether people are with you or against you. That's powerful. That's really powerful. Yeah. And scary for most people, I'm sure, listening to this. Of course it this. is. <laughs> and, I, and, and I truly understand that I'm an outlier, but I believe that this is a culture that can embed it amongst many. It's just about being in the right spaces and the right conversations happening. Do you think it's the same relationship when a small business finally hits a certain point and now they need to work with a corporate? So, for example, Swu taking on Markham saying, hey, look, this is the number I want, right? This is the price I think would really fit the product that I have. Being able to do that, Mm. what does that take? Is it a, a thing of experience? Is it learning? Is it What is it that gets you to the point where you go... Where I am mm. is not nothing. Mm. I want to be here. It's about value, value creation. If you understand that you're bringing value to the table, you're going to stand your ground. And if you, if you understand this value because you've been working on it alone, and you, like, you dream at night alone, and then you go and present it to somebody, and they tell you, ah, this is shit. And if you take that just because you don't understand your value, then it's your fault. Then you're going to be called a beneficiary and you're going to be treated like a bitch. It's that simple. I remember when um, SAP, uh, and it was run by Octavius at the time. Octavius came to that. Uh, we started in August of 2012. He came around November. And we dated. The only time when we actually did that with SAP was in August of 2013. Do you understand the process that it took? It was because it was back and so. forth. We're mm. negotiating. We wanted our terms. Because I had worked with SAP before that. 
in, 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 in a form of selling alcohol through promotions and activations and whatever as life's good. And I realized that, shit, this is a beast of a brand and they're going to take everything. They come for you like that and then when they're done with you, they will dump you. It's just that simple. So we had to like re-engineer the culture for ourselves and make sure that we are in control of our own journey. And to a point where if they were to dump us tomorrow, we can continue. And this is important for an entrepreneur, like understand your value. If you don't understand what you, what you are bringing to the table, get off the table. Walk away. Yeah, walk away, go and learn, go and, go and re-arm, pull in reinforcements. If you need to go into the deal with somebody else who's gonna represent you in that boardroom, do that. But don't, don't just give in because they will take, they'll, they'll take you for a ride. Sure. I want to do this again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's finish. We've got that so time. what we're going to do is we're going to do this again. Okay. Not now. Like three months, six months. Yeah, That's what I like with you. Like, I don't talk to you every day because I can't take all of it. <laughs> <laughs> I need it in bits and pieces. And I want the learning journey to be the same for the people that listen to this mm, podcast. Mm. Understanding that you need to look at what you have said, what mm. you have taught, and go, okay, what can I apply? What can mm. I actually move on? Mm. And then reignite myself months later. Yep. So we're going to do this again. Thank you so much, man. No, thank you. An important thing out of this is that don't take all advice. Take the things that work for you and walk away from the rest. That's a perfect way to end a podcast where you gave advice the whole time. But that's fine. <laughs> thank you so much, man. Sweet, man.